episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, uh, everybody, again to another episode of our show with another really fascinating guest today uh, with some really fascinating topics uh, that we have not yet gotten into on this show uh, involved in creating a better tomorrow for all of us. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Sakrat Kirev, uh, Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the College of Engineering, University of Miami. Uh, he has a secondary appointment in the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at the Miller School of Medicine there. And his laboratory conducts research uh, on nanomagnetics and spintronic applications, ranging everything from energy efficient information processing uh, to precision medicine. Uh, from 2011 to 2018, he was a tenured professor of electrical and computer engineering at Florida International University, joint appointment at the College of Medicine, where he co-founded uh, and spearheaded the university-wide initiative in personalized medicine. Uh, and prior to that, from 2006 to 2011, he was tenured Professional Electrical Engineering at the University of California, Riverside. Uh, prior to joining academia, uh, he spent four years as a research staff member at Seagate Research and a year uh, as a doctoral intern uh, with IBM Almaden uh, Research Center. Uh, his team, uh, in collaboration with Professor Ping Liang at uh, UC Riverside, uh, for the first time proposed and developed magnetoelectric nanoparticles uh, for medical applications, including targeted drug delivery across the blood-brain barrier, uh, cancer treatments, HIV, neuroimaging, uh, and even wireless neural network simulation, among other applications. They also proposed and developed a multi-level 3D magnetic memory device and nano lasers for future information processing, uh, which is extremely well known for, uh, which has you know, resulted in the multi-billion dollar data storage industry shift towards perpendicular magnetic recording. Uh, in 2012, he was elected a fellow of National Academy of Inventors, uh, the inaugural year of the Academy. He's graduated over 22 PhD students, holds uh, dozens of uh, US patents, and has authored over 150 refereed papers, uh, book and book chapters, presented over 100 talks at many uh, high profile seminars and colloquia internationally. Uh, Dr. Kisarev received his PhD in electrical and computer engineering from Carnegie Mellon University, uh, his master's in physics from University of Miami, and his bachelor's and master's degree in physics from Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. Uh, Dr. Kisarev, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us today for a little while. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you. It's great having you. Um, I, I'd love to start things off uh, as we typically do, just by handing you the floor uh, for a little, you know, a few minutes, just to talk a little bit more about yourself. If you could uh, take us back uh, a little further than I went, everything from sort of uh, where you uh, grew up, uh, when you first developed uh, your interest in uh, these fascinating uh, areas of physics and electronics, uh, and a little bit of those early uh, early days. I think that'd be great. The way to start things off of what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, I was born in uh, Mahachkala in 1970. Mahachkala is a city in southern Russia, uh, in North Caucasus. Okay. So then I went to school in, uh, in college, uh, Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, where I focused on physics. And, uh, you know, like most of the physics side, uh, guys, uh, electrical engineering guys, I, I, I always liked a lot of science. Uh, building uh, little robots at home, computers, etc. That's a standard path. Yeah. And uh, also, I uh, went through um, 
personal experience when I could not see for some time. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was my, in my early 20s, yeah. uh, I, was, I had a little uh, accident and uh, that's when I, I really <laughs> got into, uh, my passion came to, to really apply physics to understand how the human body works. Uh, you, you could see that our brain is a very complex machine made of uh, electric signals and so on, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a computer. So, you know, so I was driven to understand how the computer works. The brain computer so that's kind of that motivated me in science outstanding and, and, and you know it's very interesting when i read sort of uh your profile on the internet you know you have this tagline uh it says that y- you and your laboratory you, you endeavor to invent technologies which are at least 10 years ahead of their time which i think is is awesome it's 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 such a forward-looking frontier uh model of, of how to uh, it speaks to the nature of the things you're working with and we we rarely hear or have heard on the show terms like spintronics and nanomagnetics you know i i printed out sort of <laughs> the, the wikipedia definitions of these things ahead of time um I, I understand you lecture on this all the time and i'm not looking you know to ask you for an hour-long lecture but can you take us up for a few minutes on sort of a, a high school level definition of what nanomagnetics and spintronics are all about and we'll get into the health side of it okay. in the follow-up questions but take us on a little journey there if you would all right yeah no problem uh, spintronics you know the, 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 it comes from the word spin electron spin so uh, we're all are familiar with the modern uh, semiconductor industry. The computer industry uh, relies on using semiconductors, right? And in semiconductors, what we do, we store, we manipulate electric charge, electron charge. Ch- uh, charge is, uh, can be stored in a capacitor. It's there, it's yes, uh, binary yes. If it's not there, it's binary no. In a very simplistic, trivial uh, formulation. So, uh, we never took advantage of another physical property called spin. That electron has another property. It's called spin. It's because it rotates. You, you cannot, physicists are not going to like this formulation. Again, it's a very high-level description. The electron rotates around its own uh, axis. Sure. Uh, electron is a charge. So as a result, you have a, and that property um, uh, is called spin. Mm-hmm. Rotation is spinning around its own axis. So we never took advantage of that to make our devices, to store information, to manipulate. Um, and uh, spintronics uh, uh, is, a, is a relatively new field, been around for a couple of decades at least, mm-hmm. uh, with a goal to take advantage of this new physics uh, we, we, we never exploited before. And possibilities there are quite um, unprecedented. As first of all, spin uh, is a quantum mechanical uh, uh, concept. It's a co- it's, it can be described only by quantum physics, which is, again, there is no analogy to it. You know, what sure. means you can have only discrete values of it. Uh, remember the Schrodinger um, uh, paradox, uh, uh, cat is alive and dead at the same time. So that, that spin is kind of, spin is a very nice uh, model to describe that uh, process. So it's, uh, it's not easy to make it work, but it definitely it's going to happen. It's, uh, there are already applications based on spin. And in fact, in um, one of the most mature industries, data storage industries, um, uh, magnetic data storage industries, um, the way they read information in the hard disk from a disk um, uh, relies on using the physical spin. Mm-hmm. So that just again, I'll stop here, not to get into details. Yeah. 
No, no, I, 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 but but it has more than uh, more, more than that. So spintronic. Why is spintronic such a big thing? Uh, you all heard of quantum uh, computing. Sure. Quantum computing is the next generation uh, paradigm, computing paradigm. Uh, most uh, promising and most powerful in terms of computing, right? Uh, and spintronics is uh, probably one of the most reliable ways to, to make it happen. Uh, taking, by taking advantage of the quantum physics of the spin, of the electron spin. That's why it's such an important field. Excellent. Excellent. And then, so continuing along that path, so, uh, you know, you write about uh, how obviously, and I come out of the, the sort of the pharmaceutical industry and, and our space uh, has been heavily dominated sort of in the field of biotech for the last, you know, uh, 100 years or so with sort of the, at the molecular level, biomolecules, proteins, and so forth. Uh, the physics component of that, um, a lot less so, but as you're pointing out, you know, inside here and obviously yes. membrane yes. potentials across the body, uh, we are an electrical being, we are a magnetic being, and obviously people watching the show, listening, know about sort of uh, CAT scans and, and NMR and things of this nature. Talk a little bit, if you would, because, you know, I, you, you write about, obviously, the benefits, uh, you know, there's benefits to biomolecular stuff, uh, but a lot of downside. When it comes to uh, looking at the smaller, <laughs> going deeper now to uh, electrons and magnetic spins and so forth in the human body, what are some of the advantages? Talk a little bit about that physics and that physiological microenvironment that you talk about, which is smaller, uh, less explored, but has a lot of um, potential that sort of the larger biomolecule space does not. Take us a little bit on that, if you would. Yes, yes, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a very important question. Uh, biology has been, the, has been the driving force in medicine until today, it's obvious, right? Um, biology at the same time describes uh, all the phenomena, physiological uh, mechanisms at a relatively high level. Even when we say molecular level, it's still a relatively high level. Uh, there is level under it. Definitely, we want the more fundamental knowledge we have, the, the better control of treatments, um, uh, diseases we, we can get, right? That's obvious. So uh, the physics um, um, provides you that control. And uh, the physics can go, go beyond, can look uh, under. So well, by doing this, we, uh, by achieving a more fundamental control of biological mechanisms, we can treat diseases much better and with, no, with much less and maybe no side effects, ideally. That's, that's our dream. And it's gonna happen sooner or later, obviously. We're progressing, advancing, that's, that, that's where we want to be. And uh, uh, I think it's important to mention here, uh, interesting, historically, how academia has been, uh, obviously, we know that most discoveries have been done, have come from academia, from basic research, from researchers who think that, I want to do something which will happen, like you said, at least 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. So I want to be at least 10 years ahead of uh, time. From dreamers, right? Okay. We have to dream uh, sure. to come up with something. It doesn't mean everything we dream of will happen, but at least even a small fraction of it happens, we will win. Uh, and so, but the reality is academia has been like, like this. Uh, probably one of the main things in academia, the, the saying that yeah, jack of all trades, a master of none, none been quite important in academia. It is, uh, academicians 
we are proud of knowing one field very well, being expert in it. And usually that's exactly what it was. Biologists, certain mechanisms, they're focused on that. Physicists studying certain solid state phenomena focused on that particular solid state phenomena, focusing on little micro defects in one particular material. Today it's becoming clear and the human body is a perfect example of it. That's not enough. We definitely have to go uh, interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that, that uh, master of none thing uh, is not going to be uh, valid anymore. I mean, it's not going to help, uh, help us uh, in the future. And um, uh, there, of course, people, scientists are realizing this. And so uh, I want to say that uh, I'm at the University of Miami right now. We, we have a good, strong team at the University of Miami and our focus is advanced materials. Mm -hmm. Advanced materials is, is probably the field, is a, is a true interdisciplinary field, which actually at the front line of this change of the development in academia. So making everything interdisciplinary. So, um, and uh, there are quite a few very strong um, interdisciplinary programs um, in the nation. And... Um, of course, examples are, you see Santa Barbara, University of Chicago, Molecular Engineering Institute, University of Florida, quite a few. But still, um, it's, it's a relatively new development. Mm -hmm. So what, what we're trying to do at the University of, of Miami right now is to take advantage of this interdisciplinary approach of material science mm -hmm. and uh, focus on something uh, which is a, uh, already built, uh, which already exists at the University of Miami on the existing strengths. Uh, mm -hmm. We have machine learning, we have data sciences, we have very strong um, medical school, um, Boston Palmer Eye Institute and many other um, efforts. We have the very st strong um, atmospheric uh, sciences institute so it's, uh, uh, dealing with the pollution environment, etc. So we want to figure out how we actually can if we use this interdisciplinary approach in material science to solve fundamental problems like this. And I, I'm not going to go far into all these applications. I'm not an expert in, in all these applications. And our focus, again, is physics sure. uh, and building devices based on uh, physics. But what we're understanding right now, it's very important to connect to somebody who is very strong in applications. And medicine is definitely probably for us right now, it's a perfect example. As I told you, we've been passionate of figuring out how to uh, treat um, diseases, particularly in the brain, very, yeah. a very complex system. The, the brain is a very uh, complicated electric circuit. And uh, the reality is today, uh, scientists don't, don't really have a fundamental approach to treat, to treat diseases in the brain. The reason for this is um, uh, brain is a, such a complex system made of billions of these neurons, 80 billion neurons, right? They all interact with each other through electric signals called uh, action potentials. Yep. Uh, and uh, that's definitely not pure biology. That's more, I would say, electrical engineering signals, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, they, 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 there has been a good realization of this, but uh, what, what we as material scientists right now trying to achieve at the University of Miami, we're actually trying to use that interdisciplinary approach of material science and connect to the right people. In this case, it's physicists, not just biologists and neuroscientists, it's physicists, yep. signal processing guys. That's why uh, our collaborator, uh, Dr. Ping Lang, uh, from uh, in the past from East Riverside, of Cell Nanomed comes in, very uh, strong signal processing expert. Uh, and 
we're looking at the brain as a, that circuit, as I told this electrical engineering circuit. And uh, uh, um, trying to uh, understand how we can write and read information from individual neurons in the brain without damaging the brain. What it gives you, it's, um, um, it gives you the ability to uh, look, to identify, to diagnose a disease in the brain uh, and treat it mm -hmm. um, on the fly. Uh, so to do this, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, what I just said is pretty simple, but to do this, you, you need that, what you said, uh, the ability to understand uh, uh, biology at the, at the very uh, sub-molecular level. Yeah, yeah to, to control um, uh, uh, neural firing, to uh, record neural firing, and um, uh, nanotechnology and advanced materials is definitely the way to go. Mm -hmm. So um, this is uh, the focus of our research. I, I don't want to get into detail unless you ask me questions. Uh, yeah, no, I, I um, yeah, it, it, it's it's completely fascinating, and you know, um, I, I was <laughs> I was trying to immerse myself, obviously, in some of your uh, your papers beforehand, and I sort of and, and if uh, if this is not right, then we we can do it any way you want. I oh, sort no, of have cool. have uh, divided things up to uh, sort of therapeutic type stuff over here, and then although. It's therapeutic. I, I wanted to talk about brain-computer interfacing yes. separately, but if you could uh, continue about wh where we just work, I was completely fascinated. So uh, we have now uh, you sort of described this uh, electric field-driven nanoscale approaches, uh, a core component of that. What you're, you're developing these magnetoelectric nanoparticles. Uh, obviously, this is this is highly advanced and probably a lot of confidential stuff here. But you know, I envision sort of you know. <laughs> Uh, lots of little nano devices yeah. going in the brain and doing something cool. Uh, take us into neurodegenerative diseases, obviously. You can go anywhere, whether it's Alzheimer's, whether it's uh, uh, Parkinson's, but if you want to take us on a little example that doesn't violate any confidentiality, but what you're thinking about, obviously, whether it's today or 10 years from now, I think you can tell a really cool story there. Yeah, of course, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, the, uh, you, you're correct, yeah, exactly. There, there are many possibilities there. So. Uh, I'll give one example, Please. one uh, simple example. Uh, so brain is, the, the brain is CPU, right? Yep. Of the human body, we know that very well. Uh, the way brain works is very impressive. Uh, it's a, the brain uh, um, in idle mode uh, consumes about uh, less than 20 watt of power. Okay. To compare, to do, the, to do the same type of calculations for regular, uh, binary computer we use today, it will take about seven megawatts. Mm. Uh, mega means million watt, right? Yeah. Uh, six orders of, uh, almost six orders of magnitude more power. So imagine if we could build a machine which works like a brain, a, a computer uh, which can work like a brain. The, the, I'm not even going to start where it will bring us, the, the computing power of the uh, computation based on the computing architecture of the brain. Yeah. We have no idea how the brain works. Right. That's the reality. And uh, the, uh, one of the reasons we don't know how, how the brain works is it's very difficult. It's to, today, we don't know how to do it. We, we don't really, we cannot look at the signal uh, propagation pathways in the brain. We, so imagine there are 80 billion neurons in the brain and they communicate with each other. Everything they do is, uh, quite complex, it's very collective. 
there are many hypotheses how actually what is the brain computer architecture again we have no clue and um, uh, it's mostly mathematical uh, theories one of them claims that uh, the brain most likely is not even working in three-dimensional space. It's some 10th mm-hmm. or 12-dimensional space. And then we, the brain has the ability to reflect that information in multi-dimensional space in our dimensional space and et cetera, et cetera. That's why it's so fast and so powerful. And so I, we, we definitely will not... Imagine the, the, the brain is a result of billions of years of evolution. That's how we look at it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, of course, we're not going to compete with nature. No, 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 there is no ch- chance in our lifetime we'll be able to understand, to figure out on our own how the brain works. So the only way for us, one approach for us, is to actually try to get inside the brain and see what actually happens there, mm. how the neurons communicate. That's also not e- easy to say, extremely difficult to do, to, to do because uh, the signals are electric field driven. It's little electric currents, like in electric circuit, like in the computer, like in the CPU. And um, so it means we have to deal with uh, electric field sources and detectors. So we have to be able to attach wires to all the neurons to be able to actually uh, look at the signal to pick up the electric voltages coming from individual neurons or drive currents and monitor what actually happens to uh, neurons when we do that. Mm Uh, imagine 80 billion neurons, you're not going to have 80 billion wires protruding from your brain. That's not going to happen. Definitely, the only way realistically to do it is wirelessly. But that's a major fundamental physics challenge. The reason is brain being so electric, electric field driven, uh, imagine the complexity of the whole thing. 80 billion, again, I keep repeating that. So now, uh, if you want to tap into signals coming from each neuron, you have to, uh, from specific neurons, some neuron number, two billion something. Right. You have to address this neuron without experiencing uh, interference from the, all the other neurons. With electric fields, that's not possible. Yeah. Electric fields cannot be used to do it wirelessly. You cannot do it. That's why they uh, attach electrodes today if you want, they want to stimulate brain, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, there's actually well known uh, certain diseases like Parkinson's and so on, the best way to treat them is not, not by uh, therapists, not by drugs, by, by actually stimulating Stimulation, them. Sure. You don't know exactly what actually happened in there, what's happening there, what, what's the mechanism underlying, but you know, ex- experience and so on, all the um, uh, research shows that that's the best way to do it. Even depression, mm-hmm. uh, major depression, which is a serious problem today in the society, the best way to treat it not with drugs is through by, by electrical stimulation. The mechanisms of it are not well known, but the, the results have been starting more or less today. And definitely that's the way to go. We, we understand that. But the, pro- the problem is how to do that without wires. That's a challenge. So n- that's why we need physics here and material mm-hmm. science, advanced material science, I'll tell uh, In fact, uh, the, the material science we're dealing with is called um, uh, material science of intelligent materials. I'll explain you uh, mm-hmm. what it means. So now, you know, we figured out electric fields cannot be used on their own to actually control and read back information from individual neurons with no wires. You cannot do that. Mm-hmm. But we know very well you can use magnetic fields. Magnetic fields are different uh, fields, right? Magnetic fields, uh, they can be used. That's the reason we, today we have diagnostic techniques based on magnetic resonance imaging. 
mm-hmm. and others, magnetic particle imaging, so, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in, in MRI machines, they apply very relatively large fields on the order of a few Tesla. These are uh, units of, Teslas are units of magnetic fields. And uh, several Teslas are huge magnetic fields. Mm-hmm. Relatively, it, it's all relative, right? It's huge compared to what? Uh, relatively large fields. So Food and Drug Administration, FDA, approves um, uh, application of fields like this. So it, it's not going to damage the brain. It's not going to do anything bad to us. And the magnetic field easily goes through the brain without affecting the electric circuitry of the brain. Mm-hmm. So now the, the, that's the physics problem we have to solve. How we can connect magnetic fields, which can easily go through the brain wirelessly, uh, we control them wirelessly, with electric fields, which uh, ensure very intrinsic control of neurons at the single or neuron or even sub-neuron level. That, that's the physics uh, problem we have to solve. And the solution is that what I just told you, advanced materials, intelligent uh, nanostructures, intelligent nanoparticles. Why are they called intelligent? Uh, they're intelligent, uh, intelligent um, advanced materials are materials which are sensitive to uh, my, relatively minute changes of the microenvironment. In this case, that minute change is the electric field because of, one, uh, because of a neural activity of one neuron or in actually of a sub-neuronal, uh, sub-neuronal region. And if you have materials which can pick up that electric field and convert the energy carried by this electric field into magnetic fields, then you can use existing tools, uh, magnetic field sources, which are already available today um, uh, to, uh, to record information from the brain wirelessly mm-hmm. uh, at the neural, a single neuron level. And vice versa, you can, if you see something, uh, something is not working properly, you can fix it. Fix it, that means fix the uh, three diseases, mm-hmm. Parkinson's, depression, uh, and many others, Alzheimer's, and quite a few others. Autism, you know, it's uh, definitely, we all know the, we all know that's diseases, but that's a fundamental approach. And uh, uh, so that's how we came up with the concept of magnetoelectric nanoparticles. Uh, the idea of magnetoelectric uh, nanoparticles was to reverse engineer the brain first. That's mm-hmm. how we started. Dr. Lang, uh, Ping Lang, and I were talking about this, and he's a signal processing guy. He, mm-hmm. he identified the problem, and we you know, offered the solution at that time. Uh, so this is actually a perfect example of uh, how material science works. It's a mm-hmm. true interdisciplinary field. Extremely successful today as a time source. And uh, this is actually one example which shows the, the power of um, interdisciplinary research. So uh, um, we figured out that there are nanostructures called magnetoelectric materials, mm-hmm. which actually do that. Uh, they, they use quantum physics to convert magnetic fields, transmitted, uh, controlled wirelessly, into electric fields at that nanoscale region, at the, literally at the atomic level. Mm-hmm. So by placing these particles uh, in, uh, close to neurons, you can control electric fields due, due to neurons. You, you can excite neurons at the single neural level or even sub-neuronal level. They're very small, that's all. That's, uh, we, we, we're dealing with atomic level here. Yeah. And uh, uh, you can also uh, re- record back the information from the neurons. So you can see about what, if neurons um, uh, communicate properly, you can, uh, and you can write back information. Remember I told you our big challenge was to figure out how the brain worked and build a computer very similar to it. Right. So that, that's actually, that, that's a, a very reliable uh, pathway to this. 
So yeah. by using this power of advanced materials, intelligent materials, um, we, 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 we can figure out what, how the signals are propagated. You know, again, I'm missing lots of very complex details. They're actually very complex to, to me too, because it's, a, it's such a complex signal processing. That's where our partnership comes into play. Uh, and, uh, uh, but what we do, we're doing experiments. We're doing quite successful experiments. We can record back and write back information uh, to fix uh, the defected parts of the uh, electric circuit uh, of the brain. And hopefully one day we'll figure out what is that computing architecture of the brain. And uh, yeah, that will be a major uh, advance, of course, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, the things that stand out to me, of course, the, the specificity, of course, of how, you know, specific, again, we mentioned, you know, nor neuron 2 million and 46 yeah. has a problem. But at the same time, um, this um, this amazing, you know, this you keep going this 80 billion number and just when you, when you start thinking of things that once again, now we're getting to the, the brain machine interface concepts and, uh, you know, you talk about moving things both ways, you know, intelligence and learning. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to... Um, a couple of folks, actually, I, I, uh, about a year ago, I spent some time with um, with Alamandi at DARPA, uh, once again, talking about yeah. sort of wireless, uh, but then also um, I spent some time with the folks at the, at the Air Force that have this ineural system where they're looking, you know, how can we get more stuff going the other direction to teach someone how to, <laughs> to fly an airplane in six months versus a year, you know, all this type. Um, when you start thinking of some of these brain-machine interface concepts, obviously looking out, but what are the... Um, uh, you know, obviously on one hand, you know, you got the diseases, but then uh, moving large amounts of information out and in, uh, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of really neat science fiction oh, yes. potentially. Yeah, of course, the things I know. you dream about yeah. there. Today, it sounds like sci-fi, but it will happen. That's how yeah. science moves forward, you know, sure. right? It's going to happen. For right. sure, it will happen. Yeah. And... Well, uh, what are the things that like you dream about in terms of, eh, I dream about, but things like, wow, well, well, not maybe not 10 years, but 15, you know, can I read this book in one minute <laughs> and get it all in can there? I, can I learn a language in the, uh, less than a minute? Exactly. That's going to happen. That's yeah. definitely will happen. But it's, uh, it's difficult to imagine about all the possibilities, yeah. but it's definitely going to happen. Whether we want it or we don't want it, it's beyond us, of course, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's definitely, science is moving in that direction. And we hope that it all will come to, to good. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's um, why we're very careful, by the way. When we do the sure. science, we always make sure that it's all ethical and it's all correct. And so we, sure, sure, not completely. Yeah. Um, you know, so moving beyond the, the, the nervous system for a bit, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, other ideas that you have you, you you know think about cancer as an example uh you know we talked on um a show up a couple of months ago with uh, with mike levin up at tufts he's working more on the bioelectricity front of things but you know he talks about how you know this normal cell here uh, a membrane potential can be a little different and all of a sudden you have a tumor cell there's nothing genetically that's changed but you've changed uh an electrical component of that that's cell. true um that's true. Talk, talk a little bit about some of these non-neural tissues yeah, and maybe some yeah, of the vision yeah. you have for magnet, uh, nanomagnetism there. Yeah. You know, this, this connection I was just talking about, uh, and the brain was an example, the best example where we could apply it, right? Yeah. The con connection, that interdisciplinary uh, approach, and the, the smart material, of, in this case, magnetoelectric nanostructure, the connection between electric and magnetic fields. Remember, magnetic fields do everything wirelessly, easy to do wirelessly. Go through the body, no problem. And electric fields, they 
um, uh, determine all this intrinsic control. They are um, uh, underlying all the intrinsic biological mechanism in the body. And those mechanisms exist not only in the brain, everywhere, at the cellular level, in, and we have trillions of, uh, of those cells in the body. Uh, and uh, like you just uh, said, mentioned, uh, cancer cells, for example, have very different membrane potentials yeah. uh, compared to their normal counterparts. For example, uh, ovarian cancer cell. Uh, ovarian cancer cell, uh, the membrane potential can be on the order of, um, uh, I'll tell you, minus five millivolt. What it means, the difference uh, between the intracellular and extracellular spaces um, the, the electric uh, field difference is about five millivolts, approximately, uh, units in uh, volts, right? So for the normal uh, ovarian cell, the healthy counterpart, it's uh, minus 50 millivolts, so 10 times larger in magnitude. So it's a big difference. So what it means, something um, uh, me medical research has never done before. That's actually an interesting observation what you said. If you can bring magnetoelectric nanoparticles in the body, what you can do, you can provide that control. You can apply electric fields in that range, if, uh, if what it means above five millivolt. So electric fields, which will give you that voltage difference at the membrane, above five millivolt and less than 50 millivolt. Uh, I'm talking at a very high level, very approximately, guys. So what it means, in this case, we can break the barrier to go through the membrane of the cancer cells and without affecting the surrounding uh, normal uh, cells. Mm -hmm. That's the specific specificity you're talking about. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. We do experiments on this. We actually work with a, a very um, cancer uh, expert, Carolyn, Dr. Carolyn Ranovich on this together with uh, did, uh, a few studies on this quite successfully um, and hopefully we'll continue this. We're actually trying to continue this right now. Yeah, you're right. Excellent, excellent, very exciting. And, uh, and of course, be, uh, being this mechanism is so fundamental, it can be applied to all the cancers, to everything. Eventually, it will be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, that's it. It's it's such a because um, we've been so genome centric, um, you know, the last couple of decades. But we, you know, we we seem to forget that there's a lot of exactly. stuff that happens yeah. in, in across these trillions of cells that has nothing exactly. to do with gene changes. <laughs> the, you know, there's there's other physiological mechanisms. Exactly, so it's, and it's not uh, undermining uh, gene therapies. It's yeah. actually it's complementary to the uh, to those therapies. Absolutely, so it can go together. It can definitely further advance it. Exactly this approach. Again, um, it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on board. Um, Sagrat, um, taking a step away from sort of what I know, you know I, I know a little bit about medicine and biomedicine, but I, I'd still, I, I still find these topics fascinating. You know, you, at the very beginning, when you were introducing us to uh, spintronics, you, you mentioned quantum computing, uh, and then you briefly mentioned, uh, you alluded to the concept of neuromorphic computing, sort of uh, how we ultimately build a brain-like a, a brain computer, a, a little different yes. thing. Compare those things. Where, because I, I know, you know, there's initiatives around the world in the U.S. I'm familiar with on both of these fronts. Do neuromorphic computing and quantum computing compete with each other? Are they? Uh, just give us a couple of minutes on to because I know you're you're interested in both. But yes, where yes. do they both sit in yeah. sort of the, the future <laughs> of computing? Yeah. The, the reason we're interested in both, uh, they are alternating. Uh, actually, actually, you know, there are three major paradigms 
okay. uh, computing architecture paradigms of the future coming up right now. Okay. Uh, and uh, I would say quantum computing is number one in significance. Okay. Neuromorphic computing number two in significance today. It doesn't mean that's reality tomorrow though. Okay. And uh, the third one is something very close um, in the pro uh, to, to the current uh, architecture in process memory, in memory processing. So memory and processing uh, um, are done in one unit. That's, that's very close to the modern computing architecture. So those are three uh, computing paradigms, um, paradigm shifts uh, believed to be happening today. Yes. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so quantum computing is spintronic is there, one example of it to implement quantum computing, right? It's uh, purely based on quantum physics. Right now, it's, it's uh, you know, there are many announcements. Okay, we, we showed, uh, we demonstrated quantum entanglement in a process like this. Um, uh, quantum entanglement is a foundation, is a core of this, you know, that you, ha you have to demonstrate things like this. Uh, for... I think it's, I'm not an expert to say that, guys. You know, I let me tell. We are very much interested in this. We're working to bring our own implementation of it. But I don't think I am qualified to make statements like this. But I'll just give you my opinion. Sure. I'll just give you my opinion. Quantum computing will, whether it, quantum computing will compete with neuromorphic computing, neuromorphic computing. No, I don't think they will compete. They are they their own path. They, they, they will go uh, forward uh, uh, themselves uh, independently, their pros and cons. And we are still far from understanding which one will happen first. Mm -hmm. Quantum computing, I would say, is more popular today. There are more announcements about quantum com computing. People are taking it more and more seriously. Larger companies are involved in Google, IBM, uh, quite a few others. So mm -hmm. neuromorphic computing is not at that level. But I personally think neuromorphic computing has a stronger potential to happen in the near future. The reason is we know the neuromorphic computing works. Mm -hmm. Brain, our, our brain actually works. Sure. We just have to figure out how it works. <laughs> so, and by doing what I was just telling you, bridging those advanced materials, advances with the, with the brain, I think that's, 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 that's going to be instrumental. That will be the key to the success. Gotcha. To, to make it happen. Uh, quantum computing, it's, you know, it's, it most likely it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Definitely, it's already happening. People uh, perform certain operations with quantum gates, but an actual quantum computing, when and um, it will happen and in which form is still an open question. But for some reason, no, not for some reason, definitely it deserves that hype it has today. It's, it's a very hot field today yeah absolutely yeah and so why are we doing both let me tell you. it's a, sure. a neuromorphic computing remember our approach to neuromorphic computing or to brain like computing to be precise is to figure out how our brain works right and, and try to imitate it as closely as possible to build a computer which works like a brain uh, it's very likely the concepts of quantum computing exist in the brain the parallel computation, et cetera, et cetera. Most likely our brain already does it. You know? That's why we're very much interested in quantum computing as well. Mm -hmm. You understand? So we, we want to know quantum computing very well yeah. to, be, to be able to build um, uh, that brain-like computer we're trying to build. 
Yeah. That knowledge of quantum computing, and we all we're following on the progress in the field of quantum computing. Uh, it will believe it will help us to uh, build um, the first uh, neuromorphic computing as well. Definitely, um, yeah. I'm not going to get into detail here, but uh, the, the, definitely there is uh, there are some overlapping uh, parts there as well. Absolutely, all, no, all the pathways uh, are independent; they're, they're complementary, and they're, they're, you know. Yeah. But which one will happen first? It's uh, still an open question. Yeah. But now looping that, and, and sorry, I'll go one, one more esoteric place and then we'll come back. But um, so in the other room here, I have a, uh, a pet bird. Uh, and uh, it, you know, it's well known nowadays that he has these little things in his eyes, the magnetoreceptors that allow him to see all sorts of interesting stuff that I, I cannot as a human see. Um, and you know this is a you know one of the themes that gets spoken a lot about is an example of so-called quantum biology uh, and understanding sort of yes. the quantum nature of uh, whether it's magnetoreception or olfaction or all these other things that happen really fast <laughs> and precisely. Um, what do you think? Obviously, this is a little more esoteric a question, but obviously you, you you're, you're going to be focusing a lot on how the brain works. But uh, what about our learning about how the mind? This is. <laughs> I don't mean to go to say that, uh, how the mind works, where it is, is it in here, is it out there somewhere? Um, take us, uh, do you think about quantum biology at all and what we are going to be learning in the next 10 years and beyond from some of these more esoteric biologic concepts? Yeah, we'll definitely learn a lot. Uh, uh, that's, that's for sure. Uh, you asked a very important question, very difficult question. Uh, th that's the reason I said we're actually studying neuromorphic computing and quantum computing at the same time. Yeah. Quantum biology is most likely real. You know, it's, it's there. So hopefully we'll figure out something. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just how the mind works and so on, how it's connected to this quantum biology. This is beyond me. This is way beyond. <laughs> me too, so but I, I don't want to give it to someone smarter like than my, me. <laughs> like my colleague uh, Ping Lang says, one thing is uh, think at, uh, at the time, you know, just sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk when we get closer there. You know? yeah. That's definitely, I understand it's a big thing. It's yeah. a very big thing. That's all I can tell you. you know? Gotcha. Yeah, I, pre I appreciate that. I, did, I just thought I'd give it to somebody that's really smart. No, but <laughs> oh, I'm not that smart. <laughs> Um, Sakura, well, well, you know, we're getting to the, you know, near the end of our hour here. I want to, you know, as we typically do, give you back the floor. Um, obviously, you know, you've, you've been um, all over the place in terms of engineering, in terms of biomedicine, uh, met endless amount of fascinating people along the way in industry and in academia. Uh, take a few minutes, if you would, uh, uh, to shout out to mention anyone, mentors, influencers, your current lab uh, that are just really uh, important, to, uh, have been important or continue to be important in your career. Uh, take, take the floor, anyone you want to mention specifically that's going to be instrumental in, uh, in the next decade or so of making all this happen for us. Yeah. I think already I mentioned uh, I think the future progress uh, is based on uh, interactions, like never before. That's that's a key, of course, you know. Yep. And uh, I personally worked with uh, my uh, colleague, uh, friend Ping Liang, uh, mm -hmm. a major world-renowned expert in signal processing, uh, for the last uh, almost no more, more than a decade for sure. Uh, yeah, since 2006, 15 years now, and. Um, uh, so in, in my lab, we have about 10 people, 
okay. right now. They all come from different backgrounds, physics, biology, by biology, neuroscience, um, engineering, electrical engineering, computer engineering, computer science, mathematicians, and each of them contributes um, equally, I would say, uh, equally to the progress. So it definitely, every, everything we do it should be credited to the entire team. You know, it's a, uh, if, so I've been very lucky to have a team which works uh, hand in hand. And uh, um, so the future progress is strongly dependent on the, the ability to build such teams, I think. You know, that's very important. So, um, and uh, uh, another thing I want to mention is, by the way, the most recent you know, uh, advances in the field are uh, very important. Um, uh, are, are, are driven by, I would say, importantly, by chemical engineers. Mm. Uh, chemical engineering is an interesting field. It's a field, it's a very important, it's, you know, it's a chemical engineer is a chemist, is an engineer. So he, what it means chemist is a basic scientist. Sure. At the same time, he knows how to uh, build actual practical uh, machines out of these materials, right? Sure. And uh, not every university today has a, de a department of chemical engineering, but such an important field, I, I think every engineering school should have it. And uh, we were very lucky to have uh, good chemical engineers right now. In my group, uh, we have PhD graduate students uh, who have electrical engineers, uh, me I mean chemical engineers. And particularly, I would like to mention the Alex Zhang, Mm. Uh, who is a, uh, uh, who has a back background, uh, chemical engineering, uh, uh, something I definitely would like to credit. Uh, and uh, um, I was very fortunate uh, to work with a senior che chemist who uh, spearheaded the chemical engineering effort at the UC Riverside, Professor Robert Haddon. Unfortunately, uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, passed away a few years ago. Uh, uh, visionary guy who uh, played uh, an important role to, um, uh, uh, to, to build uh, programs like, mm -hmm. like what we, we're doing right now. So I definitely would like to mention his name, Professor Robert Haddon of UC Riverside. Gotcha. Late Professor Robert Haddon, yeah. Wonderful. Um, it's, it's a fascinating uh, journey and I really, uh, I'm gonna be excited following you the next 10 years. Uh, Hopefully, inventing these technologies before the next ten years, but really, really amazing stuff um, for everybody that's uh, going to be watching this particular episode on the YouTube channel or listening uh, on the across the podcast. Uh, you've been listening to Dr. Sakrak Kizrev, uh, Professor Electrical and Computer Engineering, College of Engineering at the University of Miami. He is that secondary appointment in the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology over at their uh, Miller School. Of medicine. Uh, Sakrat, I really want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule on the holiday to, to come talk to us. Uh, thank you for everything you're doing down there. And as we say on our show, uh, thank you for helping to create a better tomorrow through these uh, programs, this research. Really, really fascinating work. And just want to thank you again. Uh, thank you very much for having me today. Thank you.